You're listening to the On the NBA Beat Podcast, a show packed with nuanced perspectives on the league's most important stories. Portland has three timeouts, while the Lakers have two. Bryant, to shot! LeBron James with no regard for human life! Jordan... And now, your hosts, Lauren Lee Chen and the twins, Aaron and Joshua Fishman. Hey listeners, it's Lauren here with another episode of On the NBA Beat, alongside my co-host, Aaron Fishman. The NBA preseason is officially underway, and we're kicking off our coverage of this new season with a discussion about the Los Angeles Clippers, who are eager to put last season in the rearview mirror and begin a new chase for the NBA title. To talk all about the high expectations being placed on this team, we've brought on Law Murray, Clippers beat reporter for The Athletic. We've waited long enough for this new season, so let's start the show. Hey Law, welcome back to the show. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you guys for having me. It's great to have you on again. I know you are as ready as we are for the return of NBA basketball. And with preseason underway now, many people are calling the LA Clippers the deepest team in the league. They have so much positional versatility up and down the depth chart, players being able to play big or small depending on the situation. Do you have an early sense about whether they've settled on a starting lineup yet, or do you think that's something you expect Coach Lou to tinker with in the early part of the season? Ty Lue is usually the type of coach who wants to set his starters and roll with it for probably the first 10 games or so. Like last year, we thought he was going to have an extended battle with a lineup that we didn't even really get to see. And he kind of just surprised us on the first week of camp and was like, we're starting Reggie and Eric Bledsoe together with Paul, with Marcus, with Vince Zubats. And they didn't even see that lineup in training camp, really. Ty just was like, that's who's starting. And then uh, you guys may recall, Marcus did not play in training camp. He didn't really get anything going until the first game of the season. They thought that's what he needed to just be ready for opening night in Golden State. Uh, Marcus was really bad those first two games, and it turned out his knee just wasn't right. He winds up missing a whole month by the time Marcus got back. Batum was getting over COVID and got hurt right away in his first game after COVID by the time Batum was right. Paul was out. So the team was just never set. But basically, Ty Lu picked the lineup. And even with Marcus out, he just put Nico in Marcus's spot. I just have a feeling that even though it's a competition between Reggie Jackson and John Wall at point guard in particular, and that Norm Powell has said he wants to start, and that there's a, a host of options at the four, and if it's Zubas is is obviously the first guy ever, anyone comes to mind with when Ty wants to make a quote-unquote adjustment. I, I just feel like he's going to wind up starting Reggie, PG, Kawhi, Marcus, and Zoo as his standard starting lineup. It's just that the difference is this year, you're just going to have so many guys who are going to need to be ready, uh, both within games themselves, as well as when guys like Kawhi don't play because it's a back-to-back or something. So that's the sense that I get. Nothing's official. But if you see that lineup against the Lakers in a few weeks, don't don't say 
that you're surprised by it. How much do you think that roster building philosophy that you talked about of having interchangeable parts, especially on the wing, is informed by Jerry West, who's entering his sixth year as an advisor to the team? That's an interesting one. I haven't really kind of thought about Jerry's influence on roster building philosophy. And to, to be honest, I can't give Jerry too much credit for that. I, I, I think, honestly, Lawrence has done a great job of just collecting assets, man. I mean, the thing that puts this roster over the top is them getting Powell and Covington in February for one guy who's completely out the league right now and Eric Bledsoe, you know, a guy who started often for last year's team ahead of the trade deadline. Keon Johnson, a first round pick who was probably third in the pecking order. Jason Preston was probably going to play more than Keon if Jason didn't get hurt. And Justice Winslow, another guy who was a fringe rotation player for the Clippers and might be a fringe rotation player for Portland, depending on how their situation shakes out. That's crazy to think about. Those are got two guys in Powell and Covington who are starters for a playoff team in 2021 for Portland. All of a sudden, those guys are your first two guys off the bench for this Clipper team. We always talk about if healthy. We always talk about that being such a big swing factor for all teams. But the Clippers, everyone's more sensitive because they're just waiting for something bad to happen. Well, this is a pretty injury-proof team. Like, obviously, you don't want critical injuries that cost guys months or injuries that guys can't return from within a season, stuff like that. But, I mean, you got a minor injury or you have recurring repeated injuries. Yeah, that's disruptive. But this team is going to roll out talent every night. Like, there's just too many guys. Even the young guys have something to work with. And those young guys, we've seen a lot of Jason Preston, Brandon Boston Jr., for example, what we've rarely seen is those guys playing with NBA caliber talent, you know, um, established star level talent. And that's the situation where it's like you're not watching summer league in preseason anymore. You know, you could see Jason Preston start next to Kawhi Leonard or you could see Brandon Boston playing with Paul George. If something really rough happens where they lose two, three rotation players at a time, it's like, oh, they got young guys that they're developing and they got they, they could be playing with you know, real life NBA dudes instead of guys trying to scrap and make a team or trying to keep their names in the offseason or emergency contact circuit. They've just done a really good job for years to get to this point. And this is the first year where they feel like they have the right coach. I mean, I guess they felt like they had the right coach in 2019, but we all saw how that ended, uh, where they have the combination of the right coach, the right health and the right star talent to make it all work. And having such a deep team, like you said, it does provide that insurance policy. God forbid they have injury issues, but it does also mean as one possible downside that you do need to get the buy-in from players who might feel like they aren't getting enough opportunities to show what they can do on an individual level. How does Coach Lou manage that type of situation? And do you think there are going to be talented players that might be on the outside looking in when it comes to playing time or the role that they expect to be having. Anybody who says coaching in the NBA doesn't matter is playing themselves because, yeah, Ty Lue's a great X and O's guy. 
I think he didn't get enough respect for that when he was getting that Cavs team to the finals repeatedly, which is just ridiculous to me. It was ridiculous then. It's certainly ridiculous now. Like this dude, Ty Lue, got coach of the year votes for the first time last year. And that's the first time that he went a whole season coaching a team that did not make the damn playoffs, you know? That's one part of coaching, sure, but communication has always been the key figure for a head coach. Like, no matter if you have a team that's not expected to do anything or a team that's expected to do everything, a head coach has to be able to be an effective communicator with the media, with his star players, with his young players, with his veterans, with the role players who have those roles who they could play 30 minutes or 10 minutes in the same week. And that's where Ty excels better than any other place. Ty can get his message across and Ty can keep guys together and Ty can get guys to play hard for him. That's where he's at in his tenure with the Clippers. It's a great spot to be in, but that's an earned spot to be in. And he's earned that. And so he knows he's got a dozen guys who are NBA rotation players, a dozen. And two of those guys are apex predators. So you got two stars, two all NBA guys, and then you got 10 other guys. And those 10 other guys are going to have to figure, figure it out. And it's important for the team to get off to a good start. You know, I'm talking about like winning at least 15 of their first 20 games. They do that. And that buy-in is going to stay intact because when you start like a 75% win team, you know the deal for the rest of the year. Um, It'll be tougher if they're closer to 500 through those first 20 games. And then Ty's got to make some adjustments. Ty's got to have some harder conversations. He's got to keep guys steady. But a bunch of these dudes, they're not new to the team. There's one new guy, and that's John. And John, that dude hasn't played. John knows what part of his career that he's in. And John and Ty have a connection already that goes, you know, deeper than just basketball. So a lot of these dudes have that with John. That helps as well. So when you talk about buy-in, it's not like, you know, a random group of guys coming from five different organizations to play for this team for the first time. A lot of these dudes had to either rehab last year or had to play elevated roles and be at the top of scouting reports because guys were out. I think this year with everybody playing the appropriate role that they're suited for, that makes things easier on Ty. And that makes makes it easier to get through a long season where minutes are going to fluctuate quite sharply. Yeah, definitely. This is Aaron, by the way. It's great to talk with you, Law. So at the start of training camp, the Clippers had the best Vegas odds to win the championship, according to DraftKings Sportsbook. And you said it earlier, they're a pretty injury-proof team. You also said they have the right coach and the right star talent. If multiple key players aren't decimated by injury, as was the case last season, where do you rank these Clippers among the Western elite? That's tough because as good as people might feel about the Clippers, I feel like rankings are going to be tough. Like we've been playing the paper game for more than six months. Everybody knew this time last year what kind of team the Clippers were going to be bringing back. You know what I mean? Um, Mm -hmm. so there's, okay, what do you rank them on paper? What do you rank them if you're doing like 2k ratings or something like that versus where do you think they're going to finish at the end of a regular season where they're going to, uh, aggressively manage veterans, 
we know that this team has already shown that they will play with the standings if the opportunity presents itself for them to do so. Sure, this team could mess around and finish one, but that's not their goal. That's not anyone's goal on this team or this or or this organization. And I think the West is better. I don't think the top of the West is better. Phoenix obviously was the number one seat last year, but they have significant issues right now trying to bounce back from the year that they had. We're talking about a Golden State team that has its top six guys coming back and they know that they're defending champions, but they also are older and not as deep to be. When I say older, I'm talking about their legends are obviously a year older. And then the guys who support those veterans, they just don't, they they have to reestablish their depth. So like, you never know with Golden State. Golden State got off to a great start last year, and then they were pretty inconsistent to finish really the middle and 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 the uh, spring part of the regular season before mm. you know opening up and doing well in the postseason tournament. Memphis is not as deep or healthy as they were this time last year. Obviously, Jaron Jackson Jr. won't start the year, and they had to say goodbye to key veterans like DeAnthony Melton and Kyle Anderson. So, but the rest of the West should be a little bit better and. When I when I look at the clips, it's like I think they can get at least fourth. I think that should be that should be their goal. But it's going to be interesting to see exactly how they approach the regular season. Like they're going to be a top team, I would imagine. But it's hard to put a number on it right now. Yeah. So you firmly place them in the top tier. It just may not necessarily reflect in the standings if they're getting healthy for the postseason or or what, whatever happens, is that basically what you're saying? That, yeah, like, I mean, look, do you want to call the Clippers the best team in the West? I think people can make a good case for that. But They have a chance to be, is basically what you're saying, but it remains to be seen. Yeah, I think everything is they have a chance. Uh, what I'm saying is the Clippers are going to be good, and the Clippers mm-hmm. are talented enough to be the best team in the Western Conference. But I can say that for five other teams in the West. Yeah, and that's fair. some of those other teams, they might have different priorities. They might have different ways that they go about the season. I don't think anyone really gave the Suns a lot of respect last year as the best team. But damn it, they wound up being the number one seed last year. And they still had a 2-0 lead on the team that wound up eliminated them in the semifinals. It's just going to be a weird year and paper... We're going to be playing the paper game for a while. The last year's Warriors were the third seed in the West. And then the postseason came around and we saw a Warriors team that we never really saw at any point during the last regular season. That's the point I'm trying to make. This Clippers team is going to be weird to rank all season long. Yeah, I'm sure. And we obviously have to talk about Kawhi Leonard. It's been about 15 and a half months since he's played on a basketball court in a game that mattered, and that was game four against the Utah Jazz. Interestingly enough, your first and only previous appearance on the podcast was about two and a half weeks before then. So basically, we haven't talked to you on the podcast since about as long as Kawhi Leonard hasn't been on an NBA court in a game that mattered. But what are you seeing from him right now from a physical standpoint and what information have you been able to gather as he seeks to return from that partially torn right ACL? I mean, you saw the pictures, right? (laughs) (laughs) 
I mean, yeah. that's pretty much it. That's that's really all that needs to be said. A man got hurt, realized how serious the injury was, how much time he's missed, and he took a year to rebuild his body. He doesn't want to be hurt like this ever again. And he's probably always going to be load managed. I don't think you'll ever see Kawhi play another back-to-back again. I think people have to put some damn respect on Kawhi Leonard, to be honest with you. I, I should say this about everyone in general, about the Paul Georges, the Anthony Davises, several other guys who they've missed time, but they are great players who love the game of basketball. Like people need to stop acting like these dudes just don't want to play. Dudes want to play. And like, what, what would you rather have? Would you rather have guys play some random night in Oklahoma City because you just want your kid to watch him play? Or do you want him to play in the most important games of the year? You know? There and no we want other... him to have a long career, too. He's one of the league's superstars. Yeah, like, there's that, too. Like, Kawhi Leonard's basketball mortality certainly is flashing before him. He's not the only one. Like, that's the case with John Wall, too. That's the case with Paul George, too. Like, Paul George broke his damn leg <laughs> in front of a whole arena of people, you know? And people act like this man shouldn't be having any concerns about his mentality uh, or will to play the game. Like that's, what's crazy to me. And with Kawhi, it's even more, it's, it's funny. You get a back and forth, right? So the less someone speaks, the more uh, dummies tend to speak for him. And so let me not be a dummy and just say that Kawhi is trying to get back to being the player that he was like, you look at all these guys on this team's motivation to do something this year. And I know you asked about Kawhi, but it's the whole team trying to support Kawhi and Kawhi trying to lead and support this team in a way that I don't think he ever really has before. You know, I think Kawhi has an even greater appreciation of where he's at. I think Kawhi has an even greater appreciation of the guys that he's doing it with. He's been much more open and much more engaging in a way that, even the people who all they do is write flowery stories about leadership, you know, well, if, if that's what you want to do with Kawhi Leonard, he's going to give you that because Kawhi knows that he's a great player with a finite amount of time to be great going forward. We're going to see Kawhi on the other side of 30 for the first time when he comes back this month. And so I'm not sure what we're going to get out of Kawhi. I think Kawhi might turn the ball over a little bit more. I don't know how Kawhi moves those big legs on the perimeter. You know, like he did when he was in San Antonio. I don't know if Kawhi's dunking on you like he did in Toronto in the Eastern Conference Finals. I don't know those things yet, but I know the man's going to be able to shoot. I know the man is going to be able to move guys with that body. And I know that Kawhi is going to play a cerebral game of basketball because that's what he's focused on. I think he focused on the three things. The intangibles with, with, with his guys, understanding there's only a limited time left to do something special with this group and to get these guys together in that aspect. I think he focused on physically making sure his body doesn't have another extended absence, uh, whether it's contact or non-contact. And people have to realize his injury was a contact injury. And third of all, Kawhi is always, always going to talk about the collective IQ of who he's playing with. He's always talking to coaches. He's always talking to his guys. Talking. Yes. Like, stop that stupid narrative that Kawhi don't say anything. Like, Kawhi is very active and engaged with the team that he's on. So, 
that's the part where you need to pay attention to, oh, what Kawhi's coming back? Look, it's going to be a different Kawhi because guys aren't the same when they come back from long layoffs and a serious injury. And this isn't his first go around with this. But because it's not his first go around with this, I think the mental part of the game that guys tend to struggle with when they come back from these serious injuries, I'm less concerned about that. Yeah, that's some really good stuff on Leonard. Moving over to another guy who's missed a lot of time, and you teased this topic perfectly. It's John Wall I'm referring to. I'm so fascinated to see what he's going to show both on and off the court, especially on the court after such a long layoff. He didn't play a single game last season. Over the last five seasons, he's logged just about 100 games. 113 total regular season games to be exact. So when you don't see a guy often and the guy is aging and coming off of of serious injury, you start to wonder, are we going to see the same athleticism that we saw out of him? He used to be one of the very fastest guys in the NBA. Is he going to still be near the top of the league in assists if he ends up getting a lot of playing time? I know I'm throwing out a lot of questions at you, but uh, feel free to address just what you've seen out of him out of him physically and what kind of a role you expect Ty Lue and company to uh, want from him. I think we got to start physically, right? John's mm-hmm. 32. He just he just turned 32 last month. Uh, shout out yeah. to the first of the October. So uh, <laughs> we can say last month now. <laughs> and like John said it himself to the arranged media in uh, Las Vegas when his contract became official in July, he ain't going to be Batman anymore. Okay. And I don't even think he's going to be a Robin. Okay. Like John is a guy who's going to be on another side of his career. Like you just have to understand that, you know, like when John played for the Rockets, that was his age 30 season. Okay. It was the first time that he came off of not one, but two procedures on his Achilles on his heel. Okay. John has opened up about all the things that he went through uh, mentally and emotionally. Okay. Uh, I think we talk about mental health. We got to talk about emotional health as well. Like mental health of what, what goes on in your head and your mind. That's one thing, but John had to also deal with his heart too. You know, losing his mom, losing his grandmom, like losing his career, losing his original NBA city, all that, that plays a role in like, man, you ever going out on the court and you just, your heart ain't right? Well, that's how it was with John. And he's getting the chance to choose how he wanted to come back. And he, this is how he's going to come back. So physically, he's going to be different. Emotionally, he's a different person. Mentally, he said he needed help and he, and, 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 and he's got it. He's, you know, we expect him to be supported over the course of the year. And with that in mind, the Clippers ain't going to roll him out there being like, hey, be the be the number one pick, John Wall. Be all NBA, John Wall. He's about to be role player, John Wall. And we've never seen that before. I don't think John's ever seen that before. John's always been the star from the jump. So yeah. it's intriguing because you're seeing a guy who literally was everything turn into a guy who's just trying to be a part of the team for for the first time we didn't even see that with eric bledsoe we didn't need to see that with rajon rondo when reggie jackson first got here uh you know 
like even guys like Shay Joseph Alexander when they're drafted as rookies, it's like you're just coming in as a it's like John might not start. I don't re- even expect him to start. If he starts, then that's a great thing for John and the Clippers because it means that John has put himself in a position where Ty's asking a, a new guy to start. I thought that would be the case initially when he started, but then I saw the, the Clippers release when they signed and be like, John's going to add to our depth. And it's like, oh, John, while being a depth piece, doesn't sound like a guy who guaranteed start. You know what I mean? They yeah. want John to be good, as Lawrence Frank said, in the regular season and then really good in the playoffs. What does that mean? It means load management, damn it. <laughs> John ain't coming to play 80 games. John is coming to play a role and coming to come back to the NBA after, again, as you pointed out, Aaron, he hasn't played a full season and a full season meaning like, I don't know, 80% of the NBA games in five years, five complete years where it's been significant interruption early into the season, missed whole season, uh, whatever happened in Houston. And then especially what happened in Houston with him not playing at all last year. Like that's a long time. That's entire some dude's entire careers are five years. This man had five years where he could he didn't play more than uh, fifty games. So like John Wall can play fifty games, and we're going to be that's the most games John Wall's played in six years. So what do I expect out of John Wall? A completely different player, but a guy who's going to he's he's big. Okay, people talk about Kawhi lifting. John's been in the gym. I don't know how great John Wall's conditioning is, but I know that dude is is buff. He's a big guard. Reggie Jackson's a big guard. John's bigger. Okay. John is taller. Shoulders are broader. He's going to move guys. I don't expect John to be a blur like he was in Washington, but they are counting on John Wall to improve their transition game. And as a lot of people who watched the Clippers last year know, the Clippers were horrible in transition last year. Like I love talking about basketball special teams, and I'm probably going to bring it up sometime this month. And the Clippers, quote unquote, special teams unit was garbage. And uh, John is expected to significantly change that. Um, that also means that John is going to probably play with guys who are going to run. And those guys are not Kawhi Leonard. So in closing games, you're going to want John to be good with Kawhi and PG because the game slows down significantly in the fourth quarter compared to the first three quarters of games. But I mean, in the first quarters of games, he's probably going to run with younger, younger legs, guys who are more adept at getting to spots and transitions. So I'm interested to see John play with a team that he's never quite played with before, both in terms of talent, as well as role, as well as usage rate. So we don't know what to expect. I think it's hard to have a guy start like that, but John's going to play and he's going to be managed appropriately and it's going to be an exciting development. Yeah, I'm excited and intrigued about his role too. He's said that he fully embraces this new role player role and he's just being realistic from what I've heard about the reality of where he is in his career, his potential limitations, but also the potential that this team has with its extraordinary depth. And um, you, you could tell he's excited about the opportunity too. He had that quote where he was saying at any given time, he's likely to draw the opponent's maybe third best defender, where as the rest of his career, it was the best defender. I think he laughed and said, good luck, something like that, for yep. defending him with your th- third best defender. What's funny about that is 
I hear third defender and I hear third perimeter defender, which means, you know, your third best it's the defender. Worst perimeter. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And so mm-hmm. like you can talk about, you know, lining up however the heck you're going to line up and who you're it's not like you're sticking your center on John, you know, which by the way, I've seen centers we've seen the Clippers stick centers on guards that they don't respect shooting. You know, y'all can come y'all can comment with who who y'all think I might be talking about sometimes, but we've seen it. Like that's a strategy. It's like um John Wall is going if he's on the floor like that, it's like you're either gonna have to shoot it or you're gonna have to drive against guys who you're trying to hide. And that's what you need to really be talking about because you know, it's not like, oh, your third best defender out of five guys on the floor. It's like, no, it's your guy that you're trying to hide. Yeah. Um, you can choose to address this or I can just move on to the next topic. But I did want to point out that. No, we address everything. <laughs> <laughs> in a sense, this kind of reminds me, the wall signing reminds me a little bit about what they did with Nick Batum and that it was extremely low risk, potentially high reward. It really worked out with Nick Batum. With John Wall, the uh, Rockets bought out his contract and he signed the mini mid-level exception with the Clippers, which comes in at just under six and a half million per year. And the second year of his deal is a club option. So the Clippers are not risking very much at all. But I think the potential of this signing is immense. I mean, I the Batum thing, I have different feelings about just because I thought Nico was done. He definitely had in his mind. He, he might be done. In Charlotte. Yeah, his last year in Charlotte, especially like he just he didn't play. He didn't look at the basket at all. It was just a bad fit. the The, the fan base did not like Nico. There was a lot going on there. Um, Nico came to the Clippers to play a new position. Uh, Marcus being not ready for that season either put Nico in position to again play with the best guys on the Clippers and get that team off to a tremendous start. It changed everything for that team and it changed everything for Nico. And he had a fan base that embraced him in a way that Nico probably hadn't felt in a decade. So I thought that was significantly different than a John who everybody on this team knows John Wall. I mean, friggin' Brandon Boston has been working out with John Wall for most of his adult life, which is like, what, two years, but still (laughs) like, you know, we're talking about the entirety of my man's career. Um, we're talking about the connection Paul and John have. Like, guys want John to succeed. Not that that wasn't the case for Nico, but Nico was a guy who was an unknown and they had to get to know him. I think they know John, you know? And um, this is more comparative to, ironically, the guy that John's uh, in a competition with the, to, to start with, which is Reggie. But Reggie is in such in, in such a joyful place in his life career that this isn't Reggie Jackson in his Russell Westbrook era, you know, where that was kind of uh, confrontational adversarial, however you want to call it. Well, guys are just on a different side of their careers. You're a different person in your thirties when, than when you are in your twenties. So yeah, there's a sense of Clippers uh, rehabilitating guys, status in the league and everything that's gone on for a while. Um, but um, I think, it's hard to compare the cases sometimes like you got to take these guys as individuals. Yeah. We are going to be talking about Terrence Mann, but just the last thing on wall, you alluded to it, but I thought it was a fantastic players tribune P 
piece that John Wall wrote, very powerful, about why he was in such a deep depression and and seriously contemplated suicide and uh, how important his late mother was to him in his life. So I recommend listeners checking that out when they have a chance. It wasn't that long, but really powerful and informs a lot about why John Wall is the person and player that he is today. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with more show. Aaron here bringing you a quick message from DraftKings. The NFL action is in full swing at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. We're talking touchdowns, big plays, and even bigger wins. New customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win and get $200 in free bets if it does. Check this out. In addition to the usual bets, everyone can boost their winnings with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. Maybe you want to bet on the Week 4 Monday night matchup between the 49ers and Rams, or possibly the Week 5 London contest between the 3-1 Packers and the 3-1 New York Giants. To make things even sweeter, you can throw down on stepped-up same-game parlays once per game day, all season long. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code TBPN to get $200 in free bets if your team wins when you place a $5 bet on any football game. That's code TBPN, only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Terrence Mann is at a really interesting part of his career. He'll be 26 when the season tips off, and he's made significant strides each of the last three seasons. Um, Last season in year three as a pro, he averaged nearly 11 points per game, 28.6 minutes, which was a huge jump for him. Still shooting over 48%, over five rebounds per game, 2.6 assists, 0.7 steals, But you could just see it more than any of the numbers can really accurately describe. He was playing with a lot more confidence in his increased role. How do you expect Coach Lou to balance the reality that some big-time players are expected to return and garner big minutes with the need seemingly at this stage of a man's career to get him meaningful minutes so that he takes that next jump? He's talking Terrence Mann taking a take, taking a jump, even though there's so much, so many guys that could be ahead of him. Well, I don't think he'll take a statistical jump, but he, you'd hope he'll continue to get better as a player. He's 26. Yeah. He's he's in his prime. Yeah, I mean, Terrence is in his prime, um, and he's the a rare young guy on a team with you know seven players, 31 years or older. Um, Terrence is in an interesting spot because, uh, for one, his extension money kicks in after this season. So he ain't going nowhere. (laughs) Like that is, that is for sure. You're trying to, uh, again, like the fact that they have a player of his caliber, um, with the number that he's making this year is incredible. So like, that's just great work again from a former second round, late second round pick in Terrence. Um, Terrence is going to have to just be ready to do everything. Last year, he had to be the backup point guard. 
this year he might Ty Ty Lu has seriously uh, suggested that he might play center minutes, and you can't dismiss it because the thing about Terrence Mann is that he is not a master of anything, but he's a he is a jack of all trades. He is a guy who can play make a bit, handle the ball a bit. He can make the open three as the 2021 Utah jazz can attest to. Um, he can put his head down and, and and get to the basket. And my favorite part of Terrence's game is a lot of guys, they grow up and you know, you're like six, three in high school and you're playing center because you're the rest of your team is full of Smurfs and someone has to play center. So they make the tallest guy do it. And Terrence reminds me of that kind of player, the player who, you know, obviously uh, didn't grow that much more, but still has the effectiveness of a player who used to have to play, you know, a certain position earlier in their basketball life. Like Terrence is one of the best up and under guys on this team. One of the better put back guys on this team as a six five player. He's even bigger now than he was last year as far as physically, uh, which is a theme for this Clippers team. And like, again, a, a, a Terrence man at like 6'5", 220, he's going to be able to handle both ends of the floor interior-wise. Um, Terrence can be a better rebounder. He can be better at um, just being more disruptive defensively. I think he's solid defensively, but rarely disruptive. Uh, we're going to see what that looks like. So um, Terrence is a guy who I think there might be nights where Terrence doesn't play at all, but I think there might be nights where Terrence winds up playing a big role because he's just the right guy. He's a Swiss army knife. So that's, that's what that is. This is going to be the last topic. And thank you so much for spending the time with us today. Norman Powell at media day said his goals for the season are to become the team's starting shooting guard and also to be an all-star this year. The Clippers acquired him last season in a mid season trade, but soon after he injured his foot, and that limited him to only playing five regular season games for the team last year. He did play well in those games, averaging 21 points per game. But uh, what do you think of those goals for him and the role that he's going to have for the team? Look, man, Norman Powell is a driven player, which is what you want. You want guys who are motivated uh, to do their thing and still team oriented as well. And that's what matters. Like, Norm is going to be a great teammate. Norm has won a championship. He knows what it takes. Norm has improved parts of his game every year. Norm works like a guy who is in his early 20s. And he's, I think he turns uh, 29, 30 years old next year. I can't believe the Clippers acquired this dude. I really can't. Like, he addresses everything, bro. He's like the cheat code. For them, Norman Powell is basically a mini version of what they're going to get from Kawhi. You know, you want better, you want more free throws. Norm should do that. You want to end some scoring droughts because you need a bucket. Norm can do that. Uh, Norm's another catch and shoot three point option. Norm is a guy who the Blazers, uh, you know, had him starting at small forward with two small guards. He doesn't need to do that in LA. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, Norm can. It's it's weird. I don't know another guy who's increased their assists seven years straight, but still hasn't actually had a good year as far as assists per game. 
that that's probably going to happen this year with Norm. I expect Norm to have at least three assists a game. So um, I don't know if Norm can – Norman Powell trying to be an all-star reminds me of when J.R. Smith was trying to be an all-star for the New York Knicks in the early uh, 2010s. You laugh, but y'all got to remember, J.R. was good. J.R. was good for a good team. And like look that look at look back at that 2013 Knicks season, and Norm's going to be like that. Norm has the capability of of playing that kind of role, coming off the bench. I don't know if Norm's going to be a starter and all star, but I think he could be a six man of the year, and that's going to be valuable. This is an organization that's used to having six men of the year. They know what it is. You know, we saw Jamal Crawford, we saw Lou Williams, Montrezl Harrell in a different position. Uh, but the same same aspect. Norm is driven, man. So, like, you always worry about the guys who talk big game, but they do so in a way that's disruptive to the team, that, that can be selfish. And that ain't Norm. That's not Norm's. Norm is a winning player. And he's continued to be a winning player, even with being a star in his role or just being a key part to a team that is special. Norm can do both, you know, so – there's so much more he can do still. And because he's driven and motivated to do it, the only thing that's going to keep him from it really is availability. Uh, we missed out on Norm last year. He only played um, three games, got hurt, came back to play two games, which kind of was a rush back. And then he played the two play-in games. No training camp, have to adjust to move in middle of the season. Then you had a rehab, then you're rushing back. Then you're playing these important games. The coaching staff isn't sure what to do with them as far as lineups. There is not practice time. Norm doesn't have to worry about any of that going into this season. I'm very excited. I'm probably, you know, I'm excited for a lot of parts of the Clippers, but Norm, uh, he's he's definitely an exciting part of this team along with Kawhi coming back, John returning to the NBA, Paul uh, getting to play a full season again at Norm to that group. You did reference his championship history that was alongside Kawhi Leonard in Toronto. Is there an advantage for him and for the team of that history of playing together? Absolutely. 100%. 100%. Again, that's what I was saying about John Wall. John Wall is coming to this team, but people know who he is. Norm came to this team and it's like, hmm, who does Norman Powell know in the Clippers? Yeah, just the most important player in the organization. You know, like there's always going to be talk of oh, who are the guys that you're bringing in, you know, and it's like Norm's stamped. How else you want to put it? Guys know what he's about. There's a particular group of particular character where it's like, oh, yeah, the Clippers have a have a type, right? Norm is that type. That's why I'm like, dog, they stole him. They stole him. I'm not even talking about contract in years. We all know why Portland decided that the contract that they signed with Norm, they had to get off of like six months later. That's not the Clippers problem right now. That's the Clippers benefit. So, um, yeah, you get Norm and Kawhi back. I think it went pretty well the first time around, right? It's the same situation. Last time Norm played with Kawhi, Kawhi was coming off of lost season. And yeah, we all saw how that ended. And Norm is a better player now. So that's going to be very exciting to watch. La, I've had a great time 
during this conversation with you. Learned a lot about the Clippers and always enjoy getting to speak with you. Thanks a lot for joining us today. Hey, thank you. Thank you, Aaron. Uh, Zencaster, uh, not not so much, but uh, appreciate, <laughs> appreciate you guys. Yep, made it work. Our pleasure. Thanks, Law. All right. Another huge thanks to our friend Law Murray for squeezing us in this past weekend during his busy Seattle trip covering the Clippers. You can find him on Twitter at LawMurrayTheNU and read all of his terrific work at TheAthletic.com. This episode was jointly hosted, edited, and produced by me, Aaron Fishman, and Lauren Lee Chang, whom you can follow on Twitter at ByAaronFish and Lauren L. Chang, respectively. If you liked what you heard, you can subscribe for more episodes by searching On the NBA Beat wherever you get your podcasts. And if you feel so inclined, drop us a five-star review on your own. It would be greatly appreciated and really does help new people discover our show. On the NBA Beat is part of the Basketball Podcast Network.